0: chapter 2. I will say um, over the years I've realized that um, with my Bahamian, like the residue of my Bahamian accent, ax sounds like ax. So, you know, maybe for some of you you're like, I didn't know that and now I can't unhear it. But, um, you know, for those of you, uh, it's pretty noticeable once you do. There are certain words I just can't can't shake from the mother tongue or the mother accent as it were. So um, just just so you know, I have no mentions of Acts in this sermon, only the book of Acts. So no matter how I say it, I'm talking about the book of Acts, just so you are aware. Um, I I just, before we begin, I do want to um, say that for for many of you, um, if especially those that are visiting or those that are part of our congregation, if you're not already a part of a growth group, let me encourage you um, to join one. Uh, With our new model of shepherding, growth groups are the primary way in which we shepherd you um, through either an elder or a deacon being in that growth group. It's one of the ways also that you could become a part and fellowship with those within the life of the church. Now, I know some of you... Um, that that may be not feasible Uh, so we have other avenues of either um, uh, either like Bible studies or various things but we have several opportunities for you to become a part of the congregation growth group probably probably be being the number one uh, way so please consider that if you're not a part of a growth group please consider becoming a part of a growth group Um, this month we've been looking at our mission vision values in other words Who are we as a congregation? And so far, we've talked about the fact that we are a worshiping congregation. That's the bedrock of what we do. Um, We talked about the fact that we are a group of believers who have been transformed by the power of the gospel and by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we are at our core, and we continue to be transformed by the gospel. That's why the gospel is preached and taught here with such boldness, um, regardless of who's behind the pulpit. You're going to get a gospel message because first and foremost, it is the gospel that transformed you. Nothing else. Nothing else transforms you but the gospel, the message of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that's good news. In fact, good news, if you study uh, what the gospel is or what good news is, it's a euangelion. And it means news that changes you. There's sometimes you hear news that is just facts, Right doesn't do anything for you, that's not the gospel. The gospel is designed that when it goes forth, it changes you. And regardless if you're a believer or an unbeliever, the gospel still has a powerful role in your life. And so that's why we constantly need the gospel. And today, we're going to be talking about fellowship. Fellowship. What is biblical fellowship? What does God have for us um, as a body and as a group that engage in fellowship with one another. Well, with that said, let's look at the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, and let's begin at uh, verse number 42, and we'll read down to 47. Hear now the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. With all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come now and open our hearts and minds to the teaching of your word. Thank you for the wonderful fellowship we've experienced already through the singing and reading responsively of your scriptures. Thank you for raising up leaders within the life of the church. It's a testament to your faithfulness to us. And now, Lord, um, give us heart of flesh that we, that your word might lodge deeply inside of us and renew us in our hearts and minds. We ask this in Jesus' precious, holy, wise name. Amen and amen. Luke um, has written the book of Acts, and he is writing it to a Roman official named Theophilus. And um, one of the reasons why Luke is writing this particular section, this verse 42 down to first 47, he's writing that particular section for a reason. And here's the reason. Here's the reason. Whenever a new group or a new religious society or whatever you want to call it, a new sect, rose up in the ancient Near East, the Roman officials and the people in general had a big concern. And their big concern was that, is this group going to cause violence? Are they going to rise up and cause dissension? Is this new group going to be the kind of people that are going to encourage the peace? Uh, You know, they call it Pax Romana back then. Are they going to continue the Roman peace or will they be a threat to the Roman peace? Are they going to call for violence against Caesar? That was a huge issue within the broader community. And so what Luke is doing here is Luke is writing in an effort to say, no, that's not us. We're not the kind of people that cause disunity. If anything, we bring unity. We don't cause uprising. Instead, we bring peace. We're not the kind of people that are going to overthrow the government. Instead," We're going to encourage our people to pray for the government and support the government. We're not the kind of people that are going to go around trying to have violent insurrection. The complete opposite. We're actually going to be the kind of people to bring people together. And the way the apologetic that Luke uses to prove that this is the case is a word we call fellowship. Or in the Greek, you might know it as koinia. Koinia. Now koinia simply means to have all things in common, but it goes a lot deeper than that. To have koinia is a way of life in which everyone within a church or within a group, they have all things in common. That they love one another and serve one another and pray for one another. That they don't just meet one day of the week, but they look for opportunities to meet with each other as much as they possibly can. Koinonia was a way to describe the New Testament church and their love and their passion for one another. Listen to this. Uh, I'm going to give you just a vignette of some of the things that the early Christian writers said toward, um, of this new Christian community. Bear with me. It should take about two minutes. But I want you to listen to this because this is powerful. These are people who lived during that time. The first is uh, a gentleman by the name of Diognetus. And here's what he says about the Christian community. He says, look, they were ordinary people. Not much has changed, right? These are ordinary people. But, but notice what he says about them. And yet, there is something extraordinary about their lives. Like others, they marry and have children but they do not expose them. In other words, they don't give up their children. They share their meals, but not their, lo- their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. In other words, they don't try to exploit one another. They're obedient to the laws. They yet live on a level that transcends the law, meaning they do more than what's required. And the last thing is that Christians love all men. That's how he described the early Christian community. I'll give you another. Justin Martyr, in his early Christian apology, he said this. Now, he's corresponding with a Roman official. And he's saying that Christians are being treated unfairly. And as his apologetic against Christians being treated unfairly, he points to their koinonia, their fellowship. He says this. And every sober-minded person, here he's talking about the Roman officials, will declare this to be the only fair and equitable adjustment, namely that the subjects render an unexceptional account of their own life and character. In other words, look at the lives of the Christians. If you want to see what kind of people they are, if you want to know if they're going to be violent insurrectionists, look at their lives. I'll give you, this is the last one, Pliny the Younger, who was a Roman official, he's writing to Emperor Trajan, and he's never encountered Christianity before, and he's trying to find advice on what to do with these Christians, and notice what he says after he examined the Christians, in other words, read enhanced interrogation, he said that they asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been, listen, that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by an oath, not to some crime, but not to some fra- commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. In other words, he's telling him, look at their lives. Look at the way Christians treat each other. Look at the way they love and serve one another. It became the principal way by which they argued for why Christianity should be in the public square. And this had a tremendous impact on the community. Look at Acts 2.47. Notice that the Christians were praising God. And then it says, and having favor with all the people. What does having favor with all the people mean? Does anybody have in their Bible that the people liked what they saw? Anybody have as a translation that the people liked what they saw? In some translations, they actually are more specific than they had favor in the eyes of the people. It literally means that the people were attracted to what they saw. That when they saw this new tight-knit community of people who are loving and serving one another, they became attracted to that. Now listen to me, beloved. This was a very close-knit community. And it was their way of life as they came together that made it powerful for people. When they saw the way they lived, that made it attractive to others who are around them. Look, The teachings of Christianity within our society, people are often not attracted to our teaching. Why? Because our teaching is said to be on the wrong side of history, especially what we believe about sexuality. Not only that, people are going to find our practices weird. In fact, people will find us weird, right? We do weird things, like give 10% of our income and call each other brother and sister and take communion together and give up our Sunday mornings to spend time with people we barely know. Like, all of these things are strange to the outside world. But you know the one thing they can't argue against? Our fellowship. If they see us living out the gospel and loving one another and serving one another, that's attractive to people. Most of you know, or some of you know, the story of Rosara Butterfield. Used to be a lesbian um, intellectual... That worked. I think at uh, I can't remember the university at the top of my head, but she was an English professor. And what won her over to Christ wasn't neatly organized arguments, although that played a role later on. Now, what won her the Christ was people loved her, and when she finally started going to church, she saw people who lived out their convictions in community. She found a close-knit community where their koinonia was strong, where people loved and served one another diligently and faithfully, and that opened up a doorway to the gospel. One of the things that's going to win our world, our communities to Christ, and people to Christ, is when they come to CVPC or when they come to a church, And they see people living out the gospel toward one another. Koinonia, it's one of the most powerful apologetic tools that we have. And that's what Luke is doing to Theophilus. He's telling him, you want to know about the Christian community? Here we are. Verse 42 through 47 is a summary. Show me another community where people are selling their things and giving it to one another. That's what essentially is selling Theophilus. Show me another community where people love each other like this. Show me another community where people serve one another like this. Now, let's ask ourselves the question, are we that community? If people came inside here, will they be attracted to the gospel because of the way we loved and served one another if somebody came to cppc for six months and they walked in uh, in and among our church and they fellowship with the people in our church would they walk out saying to themselves you know what man those people really know how to love and serve one another what kind of impression about the gospel are we giving to people you know, Luke was bold enough to say, look at the early church. Look at who they are. Here is how the gospel has impacted our hearts and minds. Would we be able to do the same? That's the question before us. We're called to have fellowship and communion with one another. Now, for the rest of the time that I have, I want us to look at what made their koinonia attractive, what made their fellowship so attractive, what, what drew so many people in. And there are three things. There are many more, but I've isolated three things that I think will be a help for our community. The first one is this, the bond in Christ, the bond that they found in Christ. The second is the acceptance found through the breaking of bread. And the third is the compassion found in their prayers for one another. The compassion that they found in their prayers for one another. First of all, the bond that they found in Christ. Notice with me in verse number 42 and verse number 46. In verse number 42, they said, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then if you looked at verse number 46, it said, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There's a word in both verse 42 and 46. It shows up in verse 42, but they translate it a little differently in verse 46, and that's the idea of devoting themselves. In verse number 42, they, they flat out say it, they devoted themselves. In verse number 46, they used, they, they used a different turn of phrase. They said, and day by day. In other words, they devoted themselves to attending the temple together. The point that Luke is trying to make is this that the basis of their koinonia and their fellowship with one another was the word of God and to each other. In fact, he used a very powerful word, and the word is devoted. What does it mean to devote yourself to something? It means to give yourself to something. They gave themselves over to studying the word together, and they gave themselves over to fellowshipping with one another, and they devoted themselves to one another. That's a powerful um, to me, that's a powerful description of how you and I should be towards one another. We should be devoted to one another. In other words, we should give ourselves to one another. Now, here's why in the context of Acts 2, that's such a powerful concept. If you go to Acts 2 at the beginning of Acts, verse 5 through 12, you'll see that scholars say there are 15 different people groups mentioned at the beginning of Acts. 15 different people groups. And what that means is this. All of them, or a great majority of them, had different language, different practices. The majority of them had differences in opinion, maybe even differences in how they worshipped. And yet, Luke is saying that there's this tremendous unity that they had among each other, so much so that they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and helped one another. They they gave everything to one another, no matter who had need. The reason why that's so surprising is this. In the ancient Near East, the the strongest bond, the strongest bond you can have with someone in, in just general culture was to be related to that person. If you were related to that person, you had a strong bond with them, and that superseded everything. But if you notice in this passage, these people, by and large, were not related to one another, and yet they were devoted to one another. And you're asking yourself the question, how is that possible? What makes that possible is they had a bond that was stronger than blood. It was the bond that they had in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Spirit. You remember when Jesus was teaching? And as he was teaching, his family came to him. And and the disciples tapped him and said, hey, Jesus, your family is out there. And he looks at them and he says, who's my family? Who's my family? The one who believes in my words. In other words, he points to his disciples and others around him and say, this is my family. These are the people I consider my family. Not the people that I'm related with in blood who are trying to deny my sovereignty and my name. Think of how radical that was to them, that Jesus is actually calling us his family over his blood family. That's powerful. Let me me explain it to you slightly different. In our our house, I always tell my children, I said, look, genetically, genetically, I am closer to you than I am to your mother, right? They have 50% of my DNA, except when they're being bad, then they have 51% of their mother's <laughs> DNA, right? Or more. But, but genetically, genetically, I am closer to them than I am to their mother. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, actually, I am much closer to their mother. In fact, the Bible takes it a step further and says, I am bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh with my wife. How is that possible? The reason why that's possible is because me and their mother have a spiritual union. And that union was established by Christ. And for that reason, my relationship with her is much stronger, much more vital than the relationship I have with my children. And let me pause and say this. One of the biggest mistakes husbands and wives meet uh, or commit in marriage is when they exalt the love for their children above the love for their spouse. Yes, your children are cute. Okay? They are. And yes, they do adorable things. And they say adorable things. But that doesn't exalt them above relationship you have with your spouse. Because the Bible says that is the most intimate and close relationship. And we should act like that within our marriage, right? Now I say that to say this, that explains the bond that we see among these people who are complete strangers. The bond that they have together is a bond that's created in Christ, and it's a powerful bond. Listen to what um, Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a, wor- in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Why? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and a bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body and one Spirit just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. What is Paul saying here in Ephesians 4? It's radical. He says because of the work of Jesus Christ and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I have a bond that's stronger than any other bond you can form in the world. A bond that supersedes geography. A bond that supersedes language. A bond that supersedes almost anything you could think of. Why? Because it is a spiritual bond that's created by Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful. Um, Recently, um, I made a new friend. And the way I made this new friend... It's the weirdest way I've ever made a friend in my entire life. i got to tell you the story. I'll, sorry, I'll be quick. I'll be so quick. Here's how I made the story. I was sitting down in a coffee shop, and my phone rang. And I picked up my phone, and I started talking to one of my close friends. And, and we started, like, I, you know, some of you know, I have a laugh that can border on obnoxious. Okay? Just, just slightly. Not too much. Right? If I rein it back, it's not obnoxious. But sometimes I, I laugh, and like, the whole world knows. And we were just, like, laughing and fellowshipping with one another. And then, like, I could see everybody inside the coffee shop just being a little weird. So I was like, hey, I got to go. I just, you know, so, I, so I hung up the phone. And not longer than two minutes later, a lady, a young lady walks up to me. And she says, hey, this is really weird. But are you a Christian? I overheard your conversation. Are you a Christian? I said, uh, yes. Are you a Christian? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to eavesdrop on your conversation, but um, I have somebody that I think you would really love to meet, and I was like, man, is this like a multi-marketing kind of deal, you know, like, <laughs> am I being introduced, to, you know, am I going to be fleeced, you know, or maybe introduced to an axe murderer, I don't know, so she gives me this guy's number, and without even thinking, I text the guy, and I said, hey, I met this girl, and I gave, I can't even remember her name now, but I met her, and she said that I, I have to meet you, and I'd love to get together with you, and he said, sure, and so, but a month passed, and he texted me like this, <laughs> this random address, and I, and I went, I went, I can't, like, I didn't tell anybody I was going, I didn't say anything, but it was the weirdest thing in my life, so I pull up, and I hopped out my car, and this guy, like, makes eye contact with me, and he said, hey, are you Dennis? I said, yes. He said, oh, come on in. I was like, I don't know this guy, so but I'm willing willing to be led today, right? Maybe to the slaughter, but I'm willing to be led. And so I go in, and there's a number of other guys there. I've never met these people in my entire life. But let me tell you, for the next hour plus, we swapped stories about what the Lord had done in our lives. And we started uh, reading the scriptures together and praying for one another, and and it was it was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, it was just it was just absolutely amazing. And then afterwards, we were like hugging one another, you know. And then I I left, and all of a sudden my phone blew up, and and they added me to a text chain, and now now we're like gonna go on vacation together or something. I don't know. But 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 here it is. Here it is. People that I have never met, people that I don't know from Adam right? Here we are fellowshipping with one another, praying for one another, planning events with one another. And I'm like, I don't know these people. But they were acting as if we've known each other our whole lives. It was incredible. Why did that happen? Well, it happened because we had one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one Father of all. There is nothing in the world, nothing in the world more powerful than the bond we have in Christ. You know, I made four or five new friends last week. That was the greatest thing in the world just to see how how all of us, and they're all different from one another. They're all different from one another. They're different sensibilities, different politics, right? Different views on masks. You name the differences, and it was in that room. But what pulled us together? Christ. You know, sometimes a church could be the most divided place in the world because we make everything uh, a dividing line except Christ and the gospel. And that's what we see here. People coming together around God's word and fellowshipping with one another because that's their strongest bond. Now, that leads us quickly into the second thing, and it's the breaking of bread. If you look at verse number 42 and verse number 46, you get this. It it says that they were breaking bread together, verse 42, and then in verse 46, they were breaking bread together in one another's homes. Now, verse 42, I, I take the breaking of bread there to be communion, like the breaking of bread I take to make communion. In verse number 46, I take just the breaking of bread in terms of just being in their home and fellowshipping with each other. Now, what is significant about the breaking of bread? What is significant about the breaking of bread? Well, you, you have to go to Revelation 19 to understand every time the Bible mentions breaking of bread, why it's so significant. In Revelation 19, you get this beautiful picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's a symbolic representation of the joyful, intimate fellowship that believers will have with God. But it also pictures something else. It pictures the acceptance of God's people into the new heavens and the new earth. What's so powerful about Communion and eating with people together—it shows radical acceptance. When when I lived, I, so I grew up in the Bahamas. I was born there, raised there. Um, you know, on the playground, I spent most of my days. But but I I spent my whole time to the Bahamas in the Bahamas up until I went to college. And and there's this joke about Bahamians, and it's this: if a Bahamian allows you to eat in their home, you know they're their friend. You're you're their friend. But if they don't allow you to stay to eat in your home, then you're, you're not their friends, right? And so, if I went over by a friend's house and their mother said, "Hey, Dennis, you can stay," then I know I'm in. Or if she says, like happened most time, "No, you need to leave," then you know, <laughs> you know, you can't stay. There is something powerful about when we sit down and we eat a meal together because it demonstrates that we are accepting of one another. When you bring someone in your home and you allow them to sit down and, and, share and break bread with you, it shows that you're accepting. And, and let me say this. All of us have a felt need to be accepted. All of us. If we have somebody walk through our doors, one of the first things that they ask themselves intuit, intuitively is this. Will I be accepted? Will they like me? Will they invite me to their home? Will they talk to me? Will I be accepted? And it's not just in the church. Think of everywhere you go. When you go to college for the first time, well, you know, most of us, we don't think about our grades. Are we going to find a friend group where we're going to be accepted? When we go on a job the first time, you know, money is nice. But the next thing outside the money we want to know is, Who will be accepted on our job. One of the things that's so powerful about this text is the radical acceptance that is seen in this text where they're eating together and fellowshipping together and sharing their possessions together. Why? Because they've accepted one another. They're accepting of one another. And look, when, when you go to a place and you are accepted within that community, there's no greater joy that you have, and one of the things about our community, our CVPC community, is we have to be a people that's accepting. And the reason why is this: we, you know, we don't, you know, there, there's a lot of cheap acceptance that happens in our society today, but gospel acceptance is different. You know, Jesus said this: "All that the Father gives to me." will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never cast out in other words whoever comes to me i will accept radical acceptance our acceptance isn't based on the fact that we like someone or you know they wear the same brand of clothing that we have or that they went to the same college or school or wherever or they grew up in the same town that's not the basis of our acceptance our acceptance is based on the fact that Christ has accepted us. With your flaws, with your biases and prejudices, with your sins, he sees you at your worst, and he says, I want you. I want a fellowship with you, and I accept you. Let me say this. That's the power of community. Radical acceptance, not based on any kind of precondition, but based solely on the power of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life. Radical acceptance. All right, the last thing I want to say is this. The compassion demonstrated through prayer. Go back to verse number 42. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, that, that's interesting. Prayers. Why, why is prayers so important? Well, well the first is this. The, there's two reasons. One is theological, right? One is theological. Prayer is a sustaining grace in the life of the believer. A sustaining grace. Pastor, what do you mean by that? If you read Luke 22:31, 31, Jesus says this Simon, Simon, take heed. Satan has been given leave to sift all of you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you are restored, give strength to your neighbors. In other words, when we pray for one another, that is that is one of the ways God uses in our lives to sustain us. You know, I am sitting here. I am standing here before you. Not sitting, standing. I'm standing here before you because of the prayers of the saints. I've told you about my mother before, where as a young man, I was definitely going off the rails. And I came home one day, don't recommend this. drunk, out of my mind. And I remember she laid me down on my bed. My friends had dropped me off. And I woke up somewhere around 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and kneeling by my bedside. You know, that wasn't the only time. And it's not just her. There's so many people in my life prayed for me. And it was the sustaining grace. Even when I didn't want to pray for myself, I had people praying for me. CBBC pray for one another. It's a sustaining grace. But I'll tell you this also. There's a practical reason why we ought to pray for each other, and it's this. Prayer changes our hearts toward one another you know it's very difficult to remain bitter angry frustrated gossip about people if you're praying for them i I tell you what pick someone in your mind that you don't like or you're just having a hard time with You you got that person pray it's not me but if it is okay even if it is good right and here's what i want you to do for one week faithfully pray for that person And I I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you faithfully and relentlessly pray for this person for one week, your heart will change towards that person, because that's what prayer does. It changes you. You can't be frustrated and angry and upset at someone you're praying for. That's the practical beauty of prayer. Many times in my life, I get frustrated and angry at people, and I commit myself to praying for them. And what happens? My heart changes towards that person. The Lord does a work in my heart to where I don't look at this person as an object of derision, but instead I look at them as someone made in the image of God who is to be loved and treasured. God completely changed my heart and mind regarding that person. Now, what's the big takeaway? Big takeaway is simply this. We as God's people, we as God's people must pursue gospel fellowship in community. Gospel koinonia, where we love and serve one another. Um, Jesus, it's incredible to me. When you read the New Testament, Jesus Jesus had fellowship with tax collectors, prostitutes, Pharisees, wealthy, poor, educated, and uneducated. Everyone under the sun Jesus had fellowship with. Everybody. Right, and that was the power behind his ministry. So much so that the Pharisees said that he was a glutton and a wine bibber. Right, Jesus loved to fellowship with people. Why? Because it became the basis for his teaching. When Jesus entered in community with with people, it was usually around a table. They drank a little wine, not too much to get them drunk. And they shared a meal with one another. And then he gave them the gospel. There's power in fellowship. And all of us need to pursue that as a good and as an end. Father, we thank you so much for the power of fellowship. And the reason why we could even talk about Koinonia is because you entered into Koya with us. And you reached down and you changed us. with us, you abide with us, and we are in union and koinonia with you. Lord, I pray that as a body we might see the power of being knitted together to have all things in common and then dedicate ourselves to that. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.